You're listening to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue with Adam Bartels. Welcome to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue. On this episode, I am talking to author and distinguished professor in the Department of History in the College of Liberal Arts at Purdue University, Dr. Randy Roberts. Dr. Roberts, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Adam. I hope you're doing fine, too, on this cold day. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm staying warm. And it's always great to do a podcast a day after a Purdue basketball win, isn't it? Great victory. Ten points. Yeah. Yes, we'll take that. Um, and I'm just super excited to have you on and, uh, and talk to you about uh, just so many exciting things going on uh, with you. So we will jump into that. Um, of course, a lot of people may have clicked on this article to watch the video interview or are listening to the audio version on their uh, podcast platform and saw the title Blood Brothers, wondering what that means. Uh, just keep you waiting a little bit longer. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But first, I want to start, Dr. Roberts, just give me the opportunity to uh, tell us a little bit more about you and your role at Purdue and to some of the classes you're teaching up there. Well, um, my role is to teach classes at Purdue, teach classes and write books, which is the two things I love doing in, in this world. Uh, my most popular class that I've ever taught that I teach every semester is a course on World War II. And, you know, it's a big class, big lecture class. And, you know, I get to tell what I think is the greatest story in, in, in American history. I mean, it's just a, a phenomenal course to teach and in world history. And I teach, sometimes I teach courses on the 20th century America. I teach courses on, on sport history where I deal with boxing and baseball and football, basketball, the other. So I'm interested in sports. Awesome. Well, my, my brother, who's my best friend, uh, he's a history teacher himself and uh, loves loves that too, uh, World War II history. So you guys would get along just well, other than the fact that he's an IU grad. Uh, uh, he would he would love to take your courses, I'm sure. <laughs> My two daughters went to IU, so I can't, I can't say anything. <laughs> awesome. Well, what kind of attracted you to teaching? I, you know, I, I always loved history. When I was a kid growing up, you know, I, I, I just loved history. And, and I love the stories. And I, to me, if we, we have to know our past, if we want to know our present, that, you know, that seems so cliche, but it, it really is true. If we don't know our past, if we don't know how we got here, we don't know what we're doing here. We, we, we don't have that compass to go with. So I've, I've, I've always really believed that the past is important to learn. I've also always believed that it's got the greatest stories ever. You know, stories of people doing just incredible things, good things, bad things, all. And the more you learn about history, the more you can put your own life in perspective. Yeah. That's awesome. And you obviously, we kind of talked about you, you're an author as well. You write a lot of books. Uh, talk about the subjects you, uh, you write on and, and what makes you pick those as well. You know, I've written on, I really write on kind of iconic individuals, mostly from the world of popular culture. For example, I've written on boxers, Jack Johnson, Jack Dempsey, Joe Lewis, Muhammad Ali, separate books on those. I've written about actors, a couple books on John Wayne. Uh, I've written on Oscar Robertson. I've written on you know, army football, all, you know, all sorts of subjects, the Alamo, uh, all sorts of subjects. But what I look for, Particularly, I love, I'm a narrative historian, a biographer mostly. And I look for figures that from popular culture, but yet they, 
brush into and they cross over into political culture. You know, I, I've, I've said before, I wouldn't be particularly interested in writing about a baseball player that was just a baseball player, uh, uh, a boxer who was just a boxer, an actor who was just an actor. But you have some of these people, crossovers, a guy like John Wayne, for example, 200 films, great actor, in my opinion, you know, uh, world renowned. But he also became a political icon. He stands for something politically. Muhammad Ali, the same thing. Great boxer, an iconic athlete, you know, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. But yet, politically, when you say Muhammad Ali, a person's reaction will tell you a great deal about their, their own politics. So it's these crossover figures that I enjoy writing about. Awesome. I love it. And you, you mentioned Muhammad Ali. I mentioned the word Blood Brothers earlier, so let's, let's jump into that. Your book, Blood Brothers, let me get this so you can see it. Uh, Blood great. Brothers. I know what the cover looks like. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, released back in 2016, but still relevant today. And we're going to jump into a little bit more of that. So another teaser for you and why we're talking about a book released uh, four years ago and its relevance to some more recent exciting news uh, coming your way. Uh, tell me about Blood Brothers and what this uh, book is about. What's it about? Boy, it's about a lot of things. The <laughs> subtitle is The Fatal Friendship Between Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. So that tells you something about it. It's about blood brothers, it's about friendship, and it's fatal. That's, you know, that tells you a little bit about the book. Uh, you can also look at the book is how does Cassius Clay from Louisville, Kentucky, this young kid, become Muhammad Ali? You know, how does that happen? What does it mean? And, and the book really traces kind of the evolution of Cassius Clay, you know, from Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr., hero of the uh, 1960 Rome Olympics, a person that, you know, speaks out for American racial progress, you know, tells the Russian, a Russian journalist, you know, that we've got, we're working on things, we may still have problems, but things are getting better, we got smart people working on it. How does he move from that, Cassius Marcellus Clay, to the Louisville Lip, you know, spouting poetry, naming the rounds he's going to knock out opponents, to what I call, what we call Cassius X, uh, a follower of Malcolm X, um, a person who is, Malcolm X was one of the leaders of an organization that most white Americans and black Americans thought was a hate organization, talking about blue-eyed devils and, and, and the white man or Satans, to Muhammad Ali, who eventually morphs into this kind of almost prophet for peace and black independence and, and gentleness. You know, how does this happen? Who is the real Cassius Clay, Louisville Lip, Cassius X, Mal uh, Muhammad Ali? So the book traces that and it traces it through the friendship, a, a, a friendship that was not known to most Americans at the time with Malcolm X. That's a long-winded answer, I guess. Well, it sounds exciting nonetheless. And then, uh, you know, would people say this is a, a, a sports book, a political book, or, or both, a history book? Well, it's definitely history, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely political, and it definitely deals with sports. So, yeah, it's, and, and that's the kind of book that I like to write. For example, you know, somebody that, Joe Lewis, for example, great boxer, John Wayne, great actor, but yet, it's, it's that political dimension that sometimes people ignore that I like to talk about. You know, the, how, do our, how do our celebrities 
tell us something about politics. How do they impact politics? How do politics impact them? So it's 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 a tweener. Yeah. So is that what inspires you to get into books, finding figures, sports figures, and history figures, and tying in that political history as well? Yeah. And you know, any historian, when we start something, I've got questions. You know, <laughs> how did fundamentally, how did Cassius Clay, this guy from this this brash, handsome you know, friendly kid from the Rome Olympics, how does he become a symbol for some white Americans of hate in, 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 in a very tempestuous time in the mid 1960s? You know, how does that happen? So as a historian, all historians, we start with questions. We don't necessarily start with the story. We start with questions and we try to answer those questions as best we can. What, are, what does the research for a book like this look like? Looks, it looks like a lot of travel, uh, a lot of spending time in archives, a lot of spending time in front of uh, microfilm readers looking at old newspapers. But it, it spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. When, when I do a book, I always know I'm going to be spending time in Washington, D.C., because that's where you can get the best collection of newspapers. You know, in the Library of Congress, they've got just hundreds, thousands probably of newspapers. So I can look through those. It means going to New York, into Harlem, to the Schoenberg collection uh, for, uh, for African-American research, uh, spending time there, spending time in Louisville, digging up old friends of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, going to the Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, or to the Muhammad Ali uh, museum that they have down there. So it's, it's trapped. You know, what I try to do for all the characters I write about, I try to walk in their footsteps, you know, go to the places that they went, see the things that they went. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What, you know, where Cassius Clay's hometown, his home that he was born in, what does it look like? What does the neighborhood look like? So as much as possible, it's, I'm not saying putting myself in, in Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali's skin, but at least trying to see the physical world through their eyes. That's so cool. And talk about, you know, all that research you did in traveling. What was the most interesting piece of research you found? Boy, there's so much. But I remember I was in the Schomburg in Harlem one time. And I was going through back issues of what's called Mohammed Speaks. It's the Nation of Islam newspaper. And there was a, a meeting, a convention, or a, 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 Muhammad Ali, not Muhammad Ali, uh, Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the sect, gave a, a talk in St. Louis. And there in Muhammad Speaks was a picture of Cassius Clay, still Cassius Clay, at the talk. And I thought to myself, my goodness, I mean, I knew secretly he was dealing with Malcolm X, but here is a picture where he's literally at a black Muslim talk. But yet, no reporter in America, no white reporter, no mainstream newspaper picked up on this and said, what is this contender for the heavyweight championship doing at a nation of Islam rally in St. Louis? And I, I thought, you know, that's interesting, that kind of evidence of this clandestine relationship that he had with Malcolm X, because Malcolm, of course, was at the meeting, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, that's just such I, it's. It just startled me. There's so many things you run into, but that was one that uh, th that I found interesting. I also found interesting talking to a friend from Louisville 
saying, you know, a, a, a black member, same community as Cassius Clay was from, and him telling me, you know, what were the rules? What did his parents tell him? How did they deal with, how did they navigate Southern society? And he said, you know, the one thing they learned, the parents would always tell him is, do not get arrested for anything. If you go to jail, there is nothing we can do for you, okay? You're, you're on your own and it's not gonna be good. And, and learning kind of how you learn to navigate that, that racial divide in Louisville in the South, I found very fascinating. That is fascinating. And another cool, uh, fascinating tip about this book, you got to co-write it with a former student of yours, correct? Johnny Smith? A PhD student, yeah, Johnny Smith. Talk about just getting to, to collaborate with him on this book. It was great. We've actually collaborated on three books now. We collaborated on that, that book, a book on Mickey Mantle, Season in the Sun, and then finally a book on 1918 with the pandemic and baseball and war and uh, called War Fever. But um, it's, it, it's definitely, you know, maybe it started off as I was his major professor, I was his mentor, he was my mentee, but he quickly got up to speed. So it's, I don't really even look at him as a, a former student, although I'm very proud of him as a mentor, as a former student, I, I look at him as a colleague, as, as an equal, that we work on these things together. And, and, and the great thing is we'll, we go on research trips together, mostly. Um, and, and one thing about doing research as a historian, when you go to archives, you spend an entire day in the archives, you're finding really cool stuff, you're excited, you're, you know, it's, it's hard work, you're reading all day long, and then you go back and you eat dinner by yourself and it's kind of lonely and you miss your family. And I, when you go with somebody, it means that at dinner, you have somebody to talk about what you're doing, who's every bit as interested as you are in it, yeah. you know? So you talk about it over dinner, you talk about it over breakfast, lunch, whatever, you, you, you spend time, hey, look at this, look at this. And so it, it, it really alleviates the, some of the hardships and I don't want to say my job job has any hardships. <laughs> Anybody's been on the road knows what I'm talking about. Sure, sure. Well, that's also also really exciting just to get to work with you know you know see the growth of a, a student now becoming like you said a colleague. That's that's really cool too. The book Blood Brothers. Uh, some also some more recent exciting news. Uh, they're going to adapt it into a television series. Talk about that phone call or email you received that says, "Hey, uh, Dr. Roberts, we want to um, make your book into a TV show." Uh, yeah, it's, that's that's exciting. It it has already been, though it hasn't been released yet. It's been made into a um, documentary, and though that it was with is with Netflix. But then, so I have I have an agent, a literary agent, and so one of the things a literary agent does is try to sell film rights or documentary rights to a book. So we sold the documentary rights, but yet we had still had. Uh, you know, dramatic series rights, dramatic rights for it, which could be made into a movie or could be made into a series. And so, yeah, it was very exciting when when we found out when first of all somebody wanted to develop it as a dramatic as an eight part dramatic series, which was great. And then some other people signed a board and really liked the idea. One of them, of whom was uh, has his own production company, is Carmelo Anthony, that you probably know of as a basketball player. And then when they found a studio that wanted to release it, uh, you know, a, a platform. It was even, it was great. A lot of the things are still in the developmental stage. And I can't really talk about them, but 
it's exciting. It would yeah. be very exciting to say. That is awesome. And then talk about how that process works. I know there's, you said there's some things you can't really say or release at this point, but talk me through how that process works. When you write a book and it's going to go to the TV or film, are you consulted as far as input and making sure they don't take away from your book and, or do they kind of gain free rights to, to make it look however they want at that point? Well, they, they gain pretty much free rights. Uh, now the guy who's doing the writing and, 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 and is the leader in the, the production and development of it, has, you know, I've talked with a number of times, he's a great guy. And, you know, I, I feel really confident that my ideas will be listened to within reason, within reason. But I, I, I don't have much control as a, as a kind of an executive producer, as a they may look for my input sometimes they may not look for my input but it was I, you know jeffrey tubin wrote one on a, a book on oj simpson on the oj simpson trial trial that was made into a, a i don't know how many part series and it was really good he they did a great job with it so i really believe in the idea of of these dramatic series you know i'm i'm a believer in history okay i'm a proselytizer for history you know it's why i teach you know, I like teaching big lecture sections. A book makes my audience even bigger. A documentary makes it even bigger. A film or a dramatic series makes it even bigger. So any way that you can get history to the, the greatest number of people, I'm in favor of. Because somebody in that, that watches that dramatic series is going to say, wow, that was kind of interesting. Maybe I'll go back and take a look at the book. Or maybe I'll take a look at another book. That's okay. It doesn't have to be my book. That, but maybe they can see the relevancy of the past. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah, but that does do well for you as well for people to go back and, and say, "Hey, this book is based off a book. I'm going to go go read that." Obviously, that's that's good for you as well. And just talk about that and just like the anticipation of waiting for this series to come out. You know, I've always viewed myself as this is kind of a stupid analogy, but it's kind of like Johnny Appleseed. Okay. I'm just throwing out seeds and into the ground. And, and I'm hoping some of them germinate and grow. Uh, I teach students that are young, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. They've got the future in front of them. They've got no rear view mirrors on. They're not looking into the past, okay? But when they become 35 or so, they can see the arc of their life a little bit. And then they be, you know, they, they may remember, they may be over in Europe and say, you know, I remember Dr. Roberts talking about D-Day. Uh, you know, I'd like to go up and see what Normandy looks like. I'd like to read a book on it. Uh, you know, that to me is a reward, is teaching a course that may be more relevant to people 10 or 15 years later or 50 years later. Um, so, you know, that's what excites me about history. Yeah, that's what gets me up for every class. I'm excited before every class because I know with that class, I could. I only got one chance to talk about D-Day with that particular class. I'll have another class I can talk to, but that class only one time. And each lecture is like that. So each, each lecture is kind of fun to teach. Yeah, it sounds like it. I, I'll confess history was not my best or favorite subject growing up, but I will say it sounds like it would have been fun taking a class from you, Dr. Roberts. <laughs> well, come around anytime. <laughs> I might have to I might have to roll back in some classes. <laughs> um, talk about 
I just, I, you know, working with this series isn't your first time, uh, first uh, time doing this. I know you've consulted and worked on other documentaries and programs as well, including uh, 10 Days That Unexpectedly Changed America. Talk about just getting to do this and contribute to documentaries or, or series with all the many different networks that you've worked with. Oh, it's, 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 it's fun. You know, I love the collaborative process. You know, I've worked on a couple of Ken Burns projects and, you know, Ken Burns was great to work. I mean, just fantastic to work with. And you work with what seems to me now as, you know, these young, I won't say ambitious, but excited individuals, males and females that are just excited about what they're doing. They're excited about making the film. They're, and they're extraordinarily talented. They're really bright. And, and, you know, I go, mostly what I do is I go in and I know something about the subject and I talk about what I talk about, like what I'm talking to you. And then they decide what they use. And sometimes I'll say to myself, oh man, I knocked that question out of the ballpark. You know, I was, I, I was empathetic. I was, and, and it won't go, get on tape and something else will get on tape. And so I don't have any control over the final process, but you know, I'm a content expert. You know, if they do something on boxing on like Ken Burns's Jack Johnson or other Ken Burns projects or 10 days that shook the world, or they did one on Sonny List and it came out recently, or Dick Cavett did something on, uh, I'm not Dick Cavett. There was a documentary made last year on Cavett and Alley. Uh, you know, they're fun to deal. They're just fun to deal with. And, you know, I, I don't know, I probably do three or four a year, two or three, four a year. And so it's kind of, just it's just another venue, another option for historians that I enjoy. Just another way for you to be able to just to share your passion. I enjoy what I do. We'll talk. Let's talk one more time about uh, Blood Brothers. If you know somebody's listening to this or watching this uh, video interview, you know why would what would you say? Uh, you know why people should read this book and or watch the series once it comes out. I think it shows the growth of two men, of Muhammad, the man who becomes Muhammad Ali and of Malcolm X, one of whom dies. It shows a friendship of, of two guys that, that were like brothers, people would say. They were like blood brothers. They, uh, they loved each other, but yet in the end, they had to break apart. One of them ends up you know, being assassinated. Uh, you know, it's, to me, it's got sports in it, a person moving towards a heavyweight championship, fighting a boxer that was considered unbeatable. Sonny Liston at the time was considered an instructable force. And you also have America in a crisis like we are today, a racial crisis, uh, the death of a president. It's just, it, it's a political thriller to me and it's a sports thriller. And I, and, and, and I honestly believe that. And uh, before we uh, wrap up, Dr. Roberts, just want to, uh, talk about, you mentioned, I think earlier, just a little bit ago, you, your most recent book released last March, A War Fever, uh, kind of go back a little bit and, and tell us what that book's about. That's a book that deals with 1918. And I looked at 1918, we, Johnny and I looked at 1918 through three figures, three individuals, and one thing, the one thing was the coming of the pandemic of 1918, the same thing that we're going through today. And it starts at the beginning of the year, January, February, and it's there at the end of the year. And, and, and so we look at 
three celebrities, one person who's made a celebrity by the war, one celebrity who's destroyed by the war, and one celebrity who was a celebrity before the war, but he becomes a much bigger one. That one is Babe Ruth, who, because of the war, switches from being primarily a pitcher to being almost exclusively a hitter. You know, Babe Ruth was probably the best left-handed pitcher in the game in 1918, but because he could hit these circus shot home runs, becomes a batter. Uh, another of the individuals is the director of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, who's German and who's accused of being a spy, and his career is just shattered. His, his, his world is shattered. And then the third person is this mild-mannered, Harvard-educated, Wall Street lawyer who becomes the greatest war hero in 1918, uh, a guy that becomes famous for something he didn't say, but he lived through one of the worst hells of World War I. Uh, so it, it intertwines uh, as braids these three characters. And looming in the background is always the pan coming pandemic. And how fitting that that book, which mentions the pandemic, came out last March, right? When we were kind of... The book came out in March. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> as America shut down, as bookstores shut down, fortunately, Amazon didn't. Uh, yeah. The book came out at the worst time, the best time. I, you know, it certainly was of interest to people. Yeah. People said, did I know about the pandemic when I started the book? And the answer is no. I didn't know we'd be living through another one. Right. No kidding. Well, yeah, just the the coincidence or irony of, of that release. But it sounds like another fascinating one, as I'm sure all your books are. Have you started research or you got a next one in the works that you can talk about? <laughs> uh, nothing that I want to talk about. Yes, but... Okay. Yet, but you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit superstitious. If I start talking about a book too early, it may disappear from my head. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we'll, we'll wait in anticipation for that announcement then. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, Dr. Roberts, anything else you want to add before we uh, before we close? No. I other than I really enjoy talking with you. I'm happy to. You know, any author loves talking about their own books. So um, I'm. I'm anxious to see what develops. Yeah, yeah. for can't sure. Wait till tomorrow. You know, yeah. Joe, Joe Namath always said, I can't wait till tomorrow because I get better looking every day. That was the name of one of his autobiographies. <laughs> uh, I, can't, I can't say that that's happening to me anymore, but I still can't wait for tomorrow. Well, I'm excited to release this episode. Like I said earlier, you know, my brother, who's my best friend, he's an IU grad, but he's always been a great supporter of me and, and this Purdue podcast. And I'm sure uh, after listening to you, he's going to be interested in reading some of your books. So I look forward to him getting to hear about this as well. So I hope so. I hope so. Thank you, Dr. Robert, so much for your time. I appreciate it. I appreciate talking with you. All right. Take care and boiler up. Yep. A reminder, you can follow the Full Steam Ahead podcast on Twitter at Full Steam Pod. And you can always listen to, like, comment, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio and tune in. Thanks again for listening to the Full Steam Ahead podcast. Until next time, I'm Adam Bartels.